is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning, this is Jazz Shapers. I'm Elliot Moss. Thank you very much for joining me here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers is a place where you can hear the very best of the people shaping the world of jazz, blues and soul. And right alongside them, we bring someone in who's shaping the world of business, doing fabulous things and things that we all think, wow, I wish I could do that. My business shaper, and that's what we call them, today is Adam Pike. And Adam is the co-founder and CEO at Super Carers, a brilliantly clever idea which puts carers in touch directly with those people that need it. Not just carers, super carers. I love that name. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Excellent. How about you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for coming in. Tell me about super carers, Adam. We're going to start at the end and work backwards. Where did the idea come from and what is it exactly? No problem. So the idea, very simply, is to help families to find carers who live in their local area and to match them together and by doing so help families to save money because they're not using intermediaries and for carers to get far better paid because they earn the majority of what their client is paying and our platform is a very simple way that makes the administration of that relationship far far easier and the reason why we set it up was because 10-15 years ago our grandmother needed care and she had early onset dementia, was living alone in a bungalow in St. Albans. And unfortunately, the quality of care was very, very poor. And the second time that she flooded her home, my mum felt like she had no choice but to um, look at residential care homes. And as a consequence of that, my grandma felt very um, frustrated and bitter about having to go into a care home because it's very impersonal, very clinical and not a nice environment. And again, that had a big impact on our family and our circumstances. And so for my brother and I, the vision for super carers is to help older people lead fulfilling lives at home because that's where most of us want to live. Now, you set this business up back in 2015, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you may not want to answer this, but I, I hope you do. In terms of numbers of people that have used the service, is it is it significant or is it growing? And there's a there's a distinction between Well, significant and growing. Good. Um, I think the, the challenge for us is that um, we are something that is new. Mm. In many ways, we're formalising what is the preferred informal relationship. You know, someone might have their friend who needs care and Doris down the road is a carer. But often most people don't do any background checks, identity checks, right to work checks, make sure people have got the right training and qualifications. And our platform does all of that. And so traditionally people might go and talk to friends who might use traditional domiciliary care agencies. But for And so as a consequence, they get very good word of mouth. But for us as a challenger business, as a new business, our, our challenge is to grow our user base uh, with something that's new and uh, unknown to many people now the insight i I get which is that you know it's very personal Mm -hmm. your grandma wasn't well your mum probably still feels guilty to this day about that that decision that was made and so on and so forth but that put aside doesn't give you any authority if you like to go in and set up a business in the care world so where did that confidence and the know-how come from where have you managed it's interesting so i talked about the family experience but also i was a policy advisor in the cabinet office and treasury and one of the areas that we worked on was aging well And I was there for a while and I felt that government tends to think in three-year political cycles and not in generational terms. And really, when you look at the care system, it is well and truly broken. It's been broken for many, many years. And when I was there, we were designing policy that ended up in the draw. There have been so many commissions and green papers where nothing has happened. And so the impetus for me was based on that personal experience, but also based on seeing that government and of all parties were not getting their hands around the problem. My brother and I felt compelled 
to do it. And I suppose um, what led us to that point was getting on board some fantastic investors who believed in that vision and supported us. And over time, we built the support around us that had the domain expertise around care to make sure that we learned and learned very quickly. Stay with me for more from my innovative shaper, Adam Pike, co-founder and CEO at Supercarers, and they're bringing the world of policy and, I suppose, commercial, uh, the commercial side of it to, together. Time for some music right now. This is Moonchild with Be Free. That was Moonchild with Be Free. Adam Pike's my business shape today. We're talking about his business called Super Carers, which he set up with his brother back in 2015. And your background there, you touched on it. It was was a policy role uh, in the Cabinet Office, as you said. You also um, worked at Deloitte, yep. I believe. Correct. And what else have you done, Adam? Um, so when I left Manchester University in 2008, um, I was the president of the National Union of Jewish Students. Um, and at the time in 2008, it was an interesting time. Uh, the fundraising climate was challenging. We were a charity. And the political climate was also challenging. And we're seeing many of that rear its ugly head again with sort of anti-Semitism in, in different parts of various parties. Um, so for two years, I was the elected elected head of the, the movement, the student movement, worked very closely with the National Union of Students and others, and it's really around furthering the educational aims of the union, uh, helping people to get the right support on campus, and we supported about 14,000 students across 36 campuses, so I spent most of my weekends travelling to Edinburgh, Manchester, Leeds, Nottingham, Birmingham, Oxford and Cambridge, really, really fortunate, but at the same time, living out of a suitcase. Mm. All of that, I mean, sounds like you're a, you enjoy advocacy, you enjoy mm-hmm. lobbying, you enjoy helping people, you enjoy education. Have you, I mean, it's obviously important to you, and you touched on the policy piece there for the business yeah. you're doing now. Are you really, I mean, you're, are you really a commercial guy? Yeah. Th- or are you really a policy guy who loves that side of it? Because it sounds like you want to make big changes still. Again, absolutely. I think when you think about our ambition, or I share with you our ambition, it's to become the UK's most loved care business. Um, Now, on the one hand, that doesn't sound excessively commercial because it's got no numbers associated with it. But the reason why I talk about love is because when people associate care with a word it very rarely is love and mm. um, we see lots of documentaries and challenges around either the way that carers are treated or that in certain circumstances how patients are treated and so for us if we can think about the user the elderly client the carer how can we make them feel like they are enjoying a meaningful experience and so for me i'm not a policy or a commercial guy i suppose for me it's more about the quality of experience the quality of care and for us if you make the pay and the support transformative for the carer the quality of care will also improve for the client. Mm. And I can share with you some statistics on the market at the moment. Hopefully it won't bore listeners too much, but it just shares the kind of context and the challenge that we're operating under. I'll, we'll come to the numbers, but the but the question, I guess, the other connected question is that politics. Is that mm-hmm. uh, has it ever been something you thought, you know what, I'm just going to do that? Um, I, I, I don't have much interest in it um, because I have been in that environment and I think I would find it very frustrating. Today, I can make decisions with our business that has a direct impact on people's lives. And I think it was Peter Hyman, who was a strategist at number 10, for many years who said that on his first day as a teacher he had more impact than designing educational policy in number 10 
And I think for me, I can draw some uh, kind of parallels with what he said. Not that I was in the same level of responsibility or seniority as he was. But again, if you think to yourself, what I did there, did I have a direct impact on people's lives whilst typing on a computer screen and giving a minister yet another paper? The answer is absolutely not. Stay with me for more from my business shapes. That's Adam Pike, co-founder and CEO and someone who's making a direct impact, having a direct impact on people's lives. And as he said, that might not be so easy on a computer around the number 10 environment. Uh, in addition to hearing from Adam in a few minutes, you'll also be hearing from our program partners and they are going to give you some words of advice for your business. And those are from Mishkon Dorea. Hi, I'm Richard Leadham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Mishkon Dorea. We have clients who come to us who have claims against insurance companies and often they face the problem themselves, which is why they need to claim. And they're very concerned about the cost of bringing that claim. And what I say to them is, don't worry about the cost of it. There's a concept out there called litigation funding, where funders will come in. Um, if you've got a good claim, we'll back your claim, invest in it. And yes, they want a cut of what you recover, but in return, they cover the cost of your litigation so you don't have to worry about something which is a real worry to a lot of clients. There's a pretty sophisticated market out there of funders who I've worked with over the years. They access private money, university funds, property funds, and hedge funds and the rest of it. And litigation is seen as quite a good investment to make at a time when investment returns generally for capital are really low, whereas a, a funder can get 25-30% back from a piece of litigation. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. This is Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM with me, Elliot Moss. Every Saturday I talk to someone who's shaping the world of business. If you've missed any, then your destination is iTunes. Put in the words Jazz and Shapers and you can find a whole host of people there. If you have Alexa, you can enable Alexa and you can say, uh, you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers, which is also very natty, I think. Or you can just stay with me here right now because right now I've got Adam Pike and he's the co-founder and CEO at Super Carers and he's talking to me about the ability of running a business and uh, within running a business to have a direct impact and actually make stuff happen where you are now is you've raised a bunch of money mm -hmm. you're only a few years in you've raised about six million pounds which Correct. sounds like a hell of a lot of money to me um what are the kinds of people that have invested in you like and why have you chosen them as much as why have they chosen you? Um, so we look for people that are commercial and want to see the business succeed and grow, uh, but also people that have a sense of our social mission. So we look at uh, three things um, in terms of our social impact. One is how do we improve the well-being of older people? Second is how do we improve the mental health of their families? Because many people are at their most stressed and anxious when they're thinking about care for a loved one. And finally, and perhaps... More importantly is how do we transform the livelihoods of carers? And so many of our investors are both um, pure play commercial strategic investors. Others have a blend of social and commercial investment uh, principles. Our early backers were um, Richard, John and Adam who are the founders of Innocent Smoothie through their Jam Jar Investment Fund, who've backed businesses like Deliveroo, Grays, Babylon, etc. Uh, and others who come from sort of the health and social care world who have supported us. Uh, and it means that we can use that money to learn, to develop, to grow. Uh, and we were originally two guys in our kind of underpants in Watford trying to grow a business. Uh, and now we're 40 people in an office in Old Street, because that turns out to be the only place where you can hire 
brilliant developers and product managers. Um, but yeah, we've gone, we've come quite far in a short space of time, but we've got a long, long way to go. The various things that you've done along the way, and you touched on the Union of Jewish Students and that leadership role, mm-hmm. the Deloitte role, the policy role. Are you at your happiest now, do you think, Adam? And I know you're only a young guy still, but is this? does it feel right that you're running your own shop? It has its um, stresses. Um, again, um, I was only able to, to, <laughs> to get a mortgage about three months ago because I spent 10 years not ever having enough income or proof of history that meant that I could actually do that, which certainly wasn't ideal when I had, uh, we had our, Meryl and I had our son, Zachary, about 18 months ago when we were in a one-bedroom flat in Finchley. Uh, that didn't make me very popular. <laughs> um, but again, it's, again, it's just, it's just it, it, it is a place now where I'm happy in terms of both professional and personal. Uh, it's always challenging. It always challenges my resilience and my ability to bounce back and be positive. Um, but again, I think you have to take that if you want to be the master of your own destiny. And, and that point about master of your own destiny and the freedom, do you think you always crave that freedom? Do you think you've actually, was this sort of an unmet need, as it were? When oh, you were? I, would, I, would, uh, I would really, really feel very, very, very sorry for anyone who has to manage me in the future. Um, so I hope I can make this successful because I'm not quite good. I'm not, not very good, I don't think, at being, in, being subordinate to someone. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. There's lots of very interesting organisations that I'd love to work for, but after I've made this a success first. The, the other organisation which you, I think, co-founded as well, you can yep. tell me, which is called Beyond Me. Just tell me a little bit about that. So when I left uh, UJS, my, 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 myself and my friend Michael Harris uh, both had backgrounds in youth work and charity work. And when we joined Deloitte and PwC respectively, we were very conscious that a lot of our friends had joined on graduate programmes. So Deloitte recruits a thousand people a year. PwC does the same thing. We're very bright, passionate people, but we end up doing spreadsheets for big banks in sort of lockers and our time and our talent is a bit wasted so beyond me is a giving and volunteering platform that supports professionals between 21 years old and 35 years old to give their money and their time and their skills to charitable causes and so on the supply side we have fantastic projects from charities that are really unique and disruptive being proposed and we have teams of seven professionals who get together in a business like Deloitte or PwC and give uh, that time money and skill to that cause and we've had some amazing 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 things of impact we've done hundreds of thousands of pounds of cash donated millions of pounds worth of time donated uh, and lots of things we're very proud of from refurbishing a centre point a youth hostel to supporting Can Do Coffee in opening up new barristers to helping ex-offenders get back into back into work a whole host of things that we're very proud of and again that's challenging um, because um, we've been able to grow into a self-sustaining enterprise but the big challenge is how do you then kick it on and how do you grow and I'm very close to no longer being a millennial and being too old for the movement so at some point I must move on don't move on just yet. You're still a millennial. Hang, hang on, hang on in there, Adam. Adam Pye is my business shaper, co-founder, CEO, <clears> super carers, <throat> and also the co-founder at Beyond Me. Uh, it, it still strikes you, though, and I know you push back and you say, no, no, I don't want to do politics, and I don't want to do that. You, there's something in you, Adam, and, and, and we've, we've met outside of um, this. Yeah. And in fact, it was on a, a charity mission way back in uh, 2012 to the Ukraine. You're, you've been a trustee of World Jewish Relief. You're involved in doing good things. Where does that 
desire come from? Is that a familial thing? I mean, why? Because lots of people, uh, successful, intelligent, they're, they're interested, but they don't get on and do it. You've done stuff. Why do you think that you're, is? You're breaking the golden rule, which is telling people, so I sound like I'm a, a wonderful do-good. I think there's nothing special or, or unique uh, about, about, about me in any way, I guess. The bit that motivates me is that... Um, when I think about my upbringing and the way that my parents were in their community and the support they gave, I think that um, it's very, very, it's a very, very important thing to do. Um, it gives life meaning. It makes it purposeful and enriching. And if I hadn't got involved, I wouldn't have met you. I wouldn't have met loads of other people. So I get a lot of personal joy and pleasure out of it. But I suppose going back to my personal, my Jewish values, I think that all too often faith can be too introvert and not think about the world around them. And I believe very passionately that Jewish people have an obligation to be active in the world and to look outwards. Uh, that is our obligation, and we don't always do it as well as we could. And so that's why World Jewishry for me was really important. Some of the work they do at the moment is just incredible, like supporting Syrian refugees in the north of England who settle and find work in the UK. They don't shout about it because they're a wonderfully modest organisation, but when you look at their impact and what they are delivering on the ground for people, it's just extraordinary. And so if I play a very small part in that, um, hopefully I don't take any credit because it belongs to the professionals that, 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 that do the work. Um, and so, yeah, that's why. And those values, do you take those into business then? I mean, whatever those values are, being being generous, I imagine, being kind, simple things which transcend any of well, the great religions, right? Well, as, as my wife will tell you, I'm far from being perfect. Um, I guess the, the thing that matters to me is we have a very multicultural team. Um, we have a lot of different faiths, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different ethnicities, and people's careers will be long. And so for me, I do feel that um, I am the chief executive. I also happen to be Jewish and I want people to know that I'm a Jewish CEO and that influences the way that I am, the way that I behave, the way that I treat people. So in life, when they go on to work with hundreds and thousands of people across all of them, that um, the experience they have working with my, me and my brother is something that is special. Um, again, they'll find that from other people of all other faiths. But just for me, that's really, really important. It doesn't mean to say that I go soft on people. We've got a lot to deliver and we've got to hit our numbers and we've got to succeed. Uh, otherwise, we can't continue to do the work we do. Um, so I haven't got a soft underbelly. But if you work hard, if you are dedicated and you have a good time, for me, that's a really important thing. And um, how would they describe you if you weren't in the room? What would they say about Adam? I, I, I dread to think... <laughs> you could you could make a guess. They'll probably say hypocrite, liar. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of things about what I hope they would say. What would, they, what would you hope they'd say? I hope they'd say that I'm driven, determined, focused, and um, get the best out of people. You've done lots of stuff already in terms of you've laid out your you know what you want it to achieve, and you're now obviously into execution. What are the challenges of the next few years that you think you're going to have to bash to one side? I mean, that the context politically is not fair at the moment. I don't mean that in as in it's unfair, but it's not looking rosy. It's not looking rosy, It's no. difficult, and people's focus is on other things, um, mainly, obviously, Brexit and, yep. and all the things that go with that. So how do you make sure that what you need to happen can happen? The way I think about it is that care is the most wonderful profession. Everyone talks about robotics and artificial intelligence, which is fine and great, but the impact of those things on industry are that people are going to lose their jobs. And the only 
well, one of very few roles that will always need humanity is care. So I'm very, very, very positive about its opportunity, its potential, which is one of the reasons why we want to uh, make care a really viable and meaningful profession, or increasingly meaningful and viable profession, where pe- where the industry keeps its best people, because um, we want to attract people from other industries to join. And so when I think about the challenges, there are 600,000 too few carers in this country by 2025, and our role is to reduce that deficit by attracting people into the profession, helping families to find them, and as a consequence, help more and more people who are getting older to live independently. And when I think about the experience of families, 1.9 million people today have a health need who are elderly. That's increasing to 4 million. Dementia as a condition is growing rapidly. And so we have a real duty to make sure that we care well for our older generation because right now thinking about the future and aging myself if things don't change it's really quite terrifying how do you not get overwhelmed by that because it does sound terrifying um gin and tonic on a friday afternoon is probably a good start no i think look if, if we can all incrementally improve every day just a little bit i think that the difference will be significant so i don't think that we need to do anything i think everyone looks for ideas that change the world that are transformative but for me the most interesting innovations and innovators are things that are everyday things that make a very small insubstantial difference but when aggregated is much more impactful and significant and thinking about that, those everyday things, and Tim Hartford, the economist, is mm-hmm. with you on that one. He yeah. says, thinks exactly the same thing. It's the small things that make the big differences. What a, Just give me an example of one small thing that's going to impact the quality of the carers, because if there is a deficit coming down the line, the, bun- the cohort of carers now out there, are all of them of the quality you want them to be? I think the biggest challenge in care right now is the government introduced something called the Care Certificate. The care certificate is trained by home care agencies and residential care home operators. The challenge is that it's not portable. So if I'm a carer and I work with agency one and I go to agency two, I can't often take my certificate to agency two, which means I must retrain according to agency two standards, even though the care certificate has 15 standards. So the vision that we have for super carers is creating an industry standard a certificate that is portable and a profile that is like a currency that carers can ascend. So at the moment, often carers are a very generic role title. How can carers become super carers and how can their level of pay grow depending on their levels of skills and qualities and supports as a proper professional development pathway for them? Right now, that doesn't exist. And that's what we're trying to pioneer. And if you pioneer that and you create it, do people have to, is there a government body that has to give that the tickers or can you just get on with it? Well, we are getting on with it, but we're obviously talking to and working with a lot of you know, third sector and government entities because, again, for me, it's about building an alliance around those things. We can't do it alone. Uh, but often, if you're wanting to create a disruption, you often have to make sure the train leaves the station. If people want to jump on board, they've got to hurry up, run and catch up, rather than, as many people prefer, keeping the, sta- keeping the train in the station and arguing about the signals. Uh, I'd much rather get on with it and take people along with us as we go. Adam, good luck getting on with it. And I hope those people do run and catch on to the train because it sounds like it's a 
an industry that needs dramatic disruption uh, for all our sakes. And as you said, there's a, there's a massive population growth for older people. And that's, this is a real thing and we need to get on with it. And you are hopefully going to do that. Yeah, best. No pressure. Thank you. It's all down to you. Just before I let you go, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you. What's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, it's Strangers on the Shore by Aka Bilk. Uh, it's my grandfather's favourite song. And one of the reasons for taking up the clarinet was so I could play it for him at his 70th birthday. Excellent. It's a nice, nice reason. Here it is just for you. That was Stranger on the Shore from Ackerbilk, the song choice of my business shaper today, Adam Pike. Someone who wants to have a direct impact on people's lives rather than sitting behind a computer. Someone who believes in being a disruptor. And finally, not just being a disruptor, but someone who understands that disruption comes through doing little everyday things in a slightly different way. A really interesting take on innovation and disruption. Do join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am sharp, here on Jazz FM for another edition of Jazz Shapers. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.